welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, starring Jerry Springer, along with Gene Galvin and me. I'm Megan Hills. We're recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. My daddy came home. And here he is, Every ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, Jerry Springer. Oh, yeah. Oh, please. I, I, I am starting to well up. Aww. Hey, can I what? ask you uh, to do something for us? And by the way, we're going to talk in a minute about very serious topic, uh, the scourge of gun violence that's been plaguing America. And we're also going to hear yeah. from the Price Hill Hustle, and that's going to be a real treat. They, they're just a great musical group. But I want to ask you something. I know you, you do a TV show, do you not? Really? Hello? And, uh, yes. <laughs> and and you make quite a bit of money there from what I uh, no, observe. No, I, I do my show, but I volunteer. As a volunteer. And uh, for like AARP, you're like a retired senior citizen that volunteers to do a show that's destroyed the American culture, basically. Absolutely sabotaged okay. it. Well, not just the American culture, Western civilization. Okay. As we know, yeah. <laughs> but in you fairness, something. Western civilization's been around for a thousand years. Right. So it's I had its we, run. It's, it's had, had a good run. It's run. Good run. <laughs> Nicely done. Let's give Eastern civilization <laughs> a shot. Let me ask you a favor. Yes. You, when you do your TV show, yes. you do a warm up. You come out in front of the studio audience and you you do jokes and it's very entertaining from what I've heard. I've never been invited yourself? to the show. I do, yeah, I do my own. Really? Work. I thought a lot of people had other comedians. Stuff they all do, but uh, I did it simply because that's really what I want to do. I don't care about the show. I just want to do the warm ups because <laughs> that, that, that's a lot of fun. Yes. No, plus, also, it loosens people up in the audience. If they if the first time they see me is when I'm coming out to do the show. Right. You know, sometimes if, if there's someone that you know and suddenly they're on stage, you feel a little intimidated. You know, you, you don't loosen up. But if I've already been joking with them for 15 minutes, then they open up and they're much more willing to get their beads. Okay, let's try something. <laughs> Megan, just do that thing again. Now, ladies and gentlemen, here's Jerry Springer. And Jerry, just show us what you do. Do some, yeah. uh, I mean, send some of that love to this little podcast we do. You, you mean, want me to do a warm-up here? With do a warm-up. Do some of the jokes. See what you Absolutely. got. Absolutely. Well, well, first, let me open with an apology. I, I was a little late getting in. Some of you saw what happened. This guy came in. I don't think he's here now. And he puts his hands in my pocket. And I said, what are you doing? He says, I need some change. I said, why didn't you ask me? He says, I don't talk to strangers. Hey. Whoa. <laughs> wow. And then where's the older gentleman here? It was an the, older gentleman I saw. With the hearing stand. aid. I saw a guy with a hearing aid. Yeah, in and his he ear. comes in and he says, this is, he's, I mean, he was very happy about it. He says, this is the finest hearing aid money can buy. I said, yeah, what kind is it? He said, four o'clock. Oh, my. <laughs> Don't laugh. Don't encourage this. Yeah. This is. <laughs> it seems like the last bit of good news we had. Uh-huh. You know, because. <laughs> yeah, what? what? <laughs> The last what? bit of good news, well, we got Osama bin Laden. That was good news. That's good. Actually, you know, Osama bin Laden had eight wives. That was pretty well publicized. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, but I think it was last Thursday, Thursday night on the news, it now comes out that apparently a week before we killed bin Laden, he killed one of his wives. Really? That's serious. Yeah. Apparently, she raised her dress. He saw Bush and opened fire. Oh, now, oh. wait a second. That, no, that, that's not appropriate for this audience. That's not right, Jerry. I like what? that. No, that's not good. <laughs> you are demented. That's why I work for you. <laughs> hey, uh, let me ask you something. No, um, let's move on. Just, 
<laughs> we Anytime Gene starts a, a sentence with that, it's never <laughs> right. good. Let me, Let ask, me you ask you something. something. <laughs> the, uh, uh, let's admit something, and I, yes. I'm very proud to say for the first time in my life, well, number one, Megan, I flew on an airplane. First time was this past weekend, and I flew on spring air. That's what he calls his, his corporate jet deal seriously his golf stream i got to fly on it you took gene on the on, are you serious now we're he still made, disinfecting it well <clears throat> <laughs> i begged him how was it uh, well cool but i had to fly in like the luggage area uh, which yeah. is unpressurized at forty thousand feet <laughs> well not we have, heated they're nice seats you can't have jeans no you can't have jeans where other people could stand fetal position i lost uh doctor says i'm gonna lose two toes so I'm down to eight, seven, because I, I only started with nine. But uh, anyway, so we go to Florida, and we went to Florida because our mutual friend, the wonderful Beck family, there mm -hmm. are some family members in the yes. audience here, yes. wonderful yes. family, and uh, Ryan, Mary, Jenna. Probation. That's yes. correct. Yeah. <laughs> and here's the deal. Do you know, Megan, State Senator Tip Kemper has been a guest on this show a few times. He has, yes. Very innovative ideas. It's, that's one well, word. stupid ideas. Let's call it what it is. Last no, time he, he was here, and I know that you've had to see an attorney to get a, a sort of a restraining order assist. against him. Yes. Because he's sort of yeah, on your trail. On you, which well, is totally inappropriate. Thank you. Thank I you, agree. Sir. And I, I have thought his ideas were very uh, visionary. I have been the one person here that has supported mm -hmm. his unique approach to problem-solving legislatively. So he came up with this idea, and it's on a podcast that will come up here shortly, where he proposed that no one be permitted to make any left turns. Mm -hmm. Rationale is pretty simple. You make left turns, you're turning into ongoing traffic. Statistics show that's where most of the accidents are. What if you live on the, down the street on the left? Well, we proved never get home. in Florida, and by the way, Jerry rented, when we got to Florida, he <laughs> rented a car. Okay. He, it was an SUV bigger than Trump Tower, <laughs> a huge SUV, and Megan, he drove it. I actually drove it. He you really? drives. Good for you, Jerry. Yeah. My, my people had the day off. Wow. In, in all honesty, how long has it been since you drove yourself? Well, I drive when I'm home. Okay. You know. All right. Okay, so I don't drive. I'm Mickey drives. But, uh, you know, once in a while. <laughs> but he drove, and we tried. You know what was interesting was sitting in the front. Oh, that's yeah, right. Driving you are always the front. in the back, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. Really? The little things you like, wouldn't you think about. You can see things out of that, you know. And, and we tried to drive without making any left turns. So we had destiny. Now, Which is why way, we almost missed the wedding. We almost missed it. By the way, this wedding, Jerry, would you agree, was meals. Meals. It was one meal. Uh, unbelievable meals. Food. We're Jewish. What else? It was say? phenomenal. <laughs> but we, I swear, if we hadn't, fought, when we followed Bobby Beck, was the only way we could get around all these venues where these meals were. But you cannot travel without making left turns. State Senator Tip Kemper is a whack job, in my opinion. Wow. Well, now well you, we've proven you, you that. Can't, you can't do it. It was going to take us forever. You want someone to take the opposing side? No, there is no opposing <laughs> side. It's insane. Uh, Jerry. <laughs> Jerry. <laughs> Listen. That was smooth. Uh, <laughs> I got to ask you something. Uh, this gun situation in America. And America has a rich history. We love us some guns, right? We always have. It's part and of it's the in culture. our frontier, the evolution sure. of our culture. 
And yet now we've had another horrific set of murders in Oregon. And that comes on the heels of Sandy Hook. And there you can just rattle these off the litany of the deaths from American guns, the proliferation of guns. What do you think about all that? What is there a solution? Can anything be done? Well, you know, I'm probably the 15 millionth person to speak on this now. So, you know, I was trying to think, what would I say today, knowing that this subject would would come up, that, you know, we haven't discussed before, it hasn't been said a thousand times. And I thought I'd take it from the perspective of, I'm a liberal Democrat, and, and I think it's important that people listening know what my bias is. So we start from there. And I think there's some things we as Democrats do right on this issue, and some of the things we say about it are not necessarily right and confuse the whole argument. It is an absurd argument to start out by saying, even though if we started the world from scratch, that no one should have guns. You know, in an ideal world, no one would ever be angry, no one would ever be violent, there'd be no reason to shoot anything, um, and et cetera. But for Democrats to argue about, you know, doing away with guns is like Republicans arguing about deporting 11 million uh, undocumented immigrants. So it's a, it's a foolish argument, and we should get away from arguing over what the Second Amendment really meant. Now, if you're asking me, and I'm in a room alone with God, and I have to tell the truth, it's inconceivable to me that the Second Amendment meant anything other than what it says, it were, you know, which was um, in order to form a militia. So that's the real reason that the Constitution says you can have guns. But Forget that. Let's not even argue about that. We're not going to do away with the Second Amendment. And, you know, we're going to have courts that are going to continue to say people have the right to their guns. So let's not get in that debate. It's a losing argument and nothing's going to be solved by it. So let's assume that people are going to continue to have guns. Now we're on a ground where we can have a rational debate where most Americans will agree with us and we can start to get something done. If we go in saying, yes, every American has the right to own guns, that does not mean that we don't have the right to regulate it. Every constitutional right comes with the right to have those rights regulated. The First Amendment, free speech, that can be regulated. The courts have always held this. You know, you can't yell fire in a theater and stuff like that, or in the early days, pornography or whatever. So there's no question that whatever right the Constitution gives us, the government still has the right to regulate that right for a, and here are the key words, legitimate governmental purpose. Well, what is a more legitimate governmental purpose to cut down on the number of murders that take place in our society? This is an astounding figure, which in my 71 years, it never even dawned on me. I was embarrassed that I literally learned it today by looking at one of the papers. Do you realize that every single day in America, 89 people are killed by guns? That's the average. One day it may be 93 people, one day, uh, you know, 87 or whatever, but 89 people per day get killed. It's 297 people per day that get shot, but only 89 of them die. Every single day. 
and we're really not going to do anything about it? Rational people of any political stripe can't get together and say, you know what? We're not arguing about banning guns, but let's figure out a way to lessen that number. Now, people from the NRA say, well, wait a second. Cars kill, you know, people all the time. You know, you don't say you can't drive your car. No. But what we did do very successfully is we studied how to make cars safer. And the fact of the matter is that over the years, we in fact have. We started to say you have to have seat belts. We started to have steering columns that collapse. We started to have airbags. We started to have padded dashboards. We started to build guardrails along the highway that would stop, in most instances, a car from going over to the other side and having a head-on. We've done all sorts of things to make driving safer, speed limits included, and the result is that the number of deaths by car accident has dropped since we first started doing that by 95%. We literally in this country cut the number of automobile deaths over the last 35 years by 95%. So use this logic now in saying, how can we lessen? We can't No one's going to get rid of all the guns, and we can't stop some people from going crazy or whatever or being angry or pissed off and shooting someone. We're never going to get zero crime or zero murders or zero shootings, but we certainly can lessen the amount. Now, you say, well, that's reasonable. Why don't we do that? Here's another thing that should shock you. In 1996, and if I'm off by a year... Don't shoot me. (laughs) But in 1996, the Republican-controlled Congress passed a law, which is still the law today, that forbids any federal funds to be used to study gun safety. We're not even allowed to study it. The Center for um, Disease Control, CDC, you know, that, and prevention of accidents and crimes. They wanted to do a study. They're forbidden to study how we can make guns safer. And there are some things we could do. We can't even set up a commission with federal funds to study it. And there's some things we all can think of. By the way, when we said 89 people a day are killed, it's not in the mass shootings. I know that's when we start talking about it and when it's a headline. One of the security guys on my television show, he happens to be a Chicago cop. So he told me this morning, because we were taping shows, that 18 people were killed by guns this weekend in Chicago. And nothing in the newspapers. It just happens every day. So it isn't the mass killings. It's some kid finds a gun in the house. Maybe it's a gang shooting. Maybe it's an accident. Sometimes it's a suicide. Whatever, guns are there. So there's certain things you could do. I mean, you may decide, you know, they're even talking about smart guns now, where you couldn't shoot the gun unless it was yours and your, whether it's a fingerprint or some chip, that it's clearly your gun. You're the only one where the gun goes off. So if you have the gun in the house and a kid grabs it, kid can't do anything with it. Or a burglar runs in and grabs your gun, which a lot of people are afraid of. They can't shoot the gun. So, I mean, that's that's something technology can do. I would argue, 
you know, every school in America right now, even if it costs us some money, we ought to have metal detectors all over the place in schools. You don't go into the school with a gun. We ought to have cameras on the school property outside so there's no one hanging around there with guns. I mean, we do it in airports. We do it at stadiums for ball games. You got to go through, uh, you know, I certainly know like Yankee Stadium, when you go through there, you got to go through all kinds of security. They look at your, you know, your, if you're a woman, the, at your purse or whatever like that, any bag you carry on. So we could do safety things like that. And let's have people that know a hell of a lot more about it than I do figure out how we can start. And obviously, we should have background checks on any human being that buys a gun. And anyone who sells a gun, any person, you don't have to be a dealer. If you sell a gun to someone, you ought to have a document of a background check before you sell it or you personally can be prosecuted. That will cut down on the number of people that do it. It won't stop everybody. I know that. Someone intent on killing it's going to be pretty difficult to stop that person. But when you're talking about 89 people a day being killed by guns, an awful lot of that is done just because it's easy, the gun's there, somebody got pissed off and grabbed the gun, and there you go. There are things we can do to lessen the amount. 2013, 83 preschoolers were killed by guns in America. 27 police officers were killed by guns. Three times as many or three times as many little children are killed. You know, it, it, doesn't that tell us anything? 89 people a day. We have lost more people in America killed by guns domestically than all the Americans that have died in a war in our nation's history. Revolutionary, Civil War, World War I, II, Korea, Vietnam, Iraq, everything. You take all the American citizens who have been killed in the line of duty in fighting our wars, it is less than the number of people we have killed with our own guns. Jerry, I wonder if something's changing. And the, I'm, by the way, I have two guns in my home, and I don't have them to protect myself from people. I have them more for Alaska trips, but I have two guns, and I shoot guns, and uh, so I'm, I'm not, I'm not an anti-gun person, but it seems to me like something's changing and I'm going to give some credit to president Obama who right in the shadow of the killings in Oregon went right on television and says, look, how many times are we going to be back here doing this? And he got a lot of criticism. Why is politicizing? Well, who gives a damn if he's politicizing and needs to be politicized, but I get a sense kind of like during the Vietnam war, which you and I lived through as young people when a lot of us fought against that war, fought against that war, and eventually the tipping point happened, critical mass occurred, and then the rational American masses kind of changed their minds on this, and it shifted. And I get the feeling that uh, regardless of the power of the NRA and their control of the Republican Party, that there's a kind of a tipping happening and, it, uh, boy, I couldn't agree more. You are not going to come take my guns from me. That's not what's going to happen. But that something's going to happen. You make a great argument about looking at car safety. But the argument always is from the NRA crazies is that it's it, – it, and that's disrespectful. I shouldn't say that because there could be NRA people sitting right here that will kick my ass when I walk out the door. But there, <laughs> but there are – 
uh, I'm, I'm not the with fanatics, him. <laughs> fanatical gun people. Anything you do is a march towards confiscation. But there's no more liberal people than you and I, and we have never talked about confiscation. It's an absurd thing. We live in a democracy. What? First of all, people that are worried that the government's going to take our guns, for what purpose? Right. I'm, you know, finish the argument. They're going to take our guns to do what? They're already the government. And if we don't like them, we vote for someone else. I mean, what are they going to do? It's, it's, it's an absurd argument. We're the ones that provide the soldiers for the government. And if we, if we don't volunteer for the army, then they don't have an army. It's absurd. It's childish to say that we got to hold our guns because the government may come after us. Really? I mean, yeah. but this election... No, quit. The, the, I know, and I'm being biased again, but I'm sorry, I'm biased. We really have to worry about the next presidential election. And the reason I say that is the Congress will probably stay Republican just by the sheer number and the way the districts are drawn. If there is not a Democratic president there'll be no one to veto what this Congress does. And this Congress is a Tea Party right-wing Congress, which is why Boehner's gone. Hardly the poster child for liberalism, but even he's gone. Honestly, if, if we don't have a Democratic president, forget who's your favorite. That's not even the issue anymore. It's a defensive posture. I want a president that'll stop this Congress because you're going to have no movement on guns. You, you know, we are going to lose, you know, say goodbye to health insurance. Say, you know, say goodbye, minimum wage. Are you kidding? All these things are going to be gone if there's no one to veto the Republican Congress. So if you want a reason to get excited about the next presidential race, this is it. We've never faced such a right-wing Congress since the days of McCarthy. Hey, by the way, other countries, other developed countries, European countries, even some South American countries, developed countries, no country has the statistics on gun deaths that America has. It's, there's just something unique, well, number one, maybe about our frontier cultural evolution, and number two, it, ha it could have to do with a lot of things. There's diversity in America. There are poor people sometimes in conflict with people who aren't poor. Uh, er, teeming urban areas, etc. But Australia, after its most recent big mass killing that occurred at a school, they got busy. Did they confiscate guns? Actually, they didn't. But they cut off uh, uh, fully automatic weapons, even the, the availability of them. They cut off assault weapons. But they went to work on the edges of the issue. And that's really to me, the key point, that argument, that drumbeat that has been winning of you can't do anything because anything you do is tantamount to confiscation. Yeah. And there's where I think we may be hitting a tipping point where the masses of America, it's just like the Planned Parenthood argument. Republicans want to close Planned Parenthood centers across the country who only do about 3% of their stuff has to do with abortion. But when you look at national polling, I think it's like 70% of America doesn't want Planned Parenthood closed. 
This thing could shift in America, and if it didn't take this mass killing, the other ones, sadly, are right on the heels of this. It seems to be, uh, it's epidemic. So anyway, we'll see what happens. Hey, let's talk some music. Yay. Mm. And, uh, and they yours. won't be coming from you, but we have tonight with us, and we're going to ask them to come in now, Yay. members of the uh, Buffalo Wobs and the Price Hill Hustle. And this is a group out of Cincinnati, Ohio, by the way, and it's yes. one of the better groups. And we, should, we, we tend to reinforce this. I think it's worthy of doing. Cincinnati and Northern Kentucky is one of the hotbeds in America for roots music. It's up there with Asheville, North Carolina. Nashville, I'm not talking about the country western scene, but uh, New York, Brooklyn and New York, yeah. there are places where roots music has really just become very popular. Provoked possibly by Brother Where Art Thou, the movie that George Clooney did a few years back. But Buffalo Wobs and the Price Hill Hustle are very active in Cincinnati. They play a lot of places. They have a, an album called Revival. And we're going to hear their first song. And then I'm going to ask Casey Campbell, our own Casey Campbell, who is a music coordinator for the Jerry Springer podcast, to introduce the members of the band. So guys, uh, take it. Thank you. 
Yeah. Buffalo Wobs in the Price Hill Hustle, and it's kind of funny. And Casey, I'm going to ask you to introduce the members of the group. Casey Campbell on percussion. And on a member of the group, Casey Campbell, as I mentioned, is our music coordinator, and he's been bringing us all these fantastic groups. Yes. Episode after episode. And it never fails. And he walks in here again with his own group, and it's like, wow. Turns it's out. His, I'm telling you. It's there fantastic. are perks to this job. Heck yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Casey, tell us about the group and who's in it. I will. Uh, we'll just start from my right here on uh, Mandolin and Vocals. That's Mr. Scott Reisner. On Upright Bass, this is Mr. Ian Matthew and Vocals. And uh, lead guitar and vocals down here, Matt Wobnitz, a.k.a. Buffalo Wobs. And he's wearing a Yankee hat. He is. God yeah, bless there you. you go. God bless you. <laughs> and you guys have a website, PriceHillHustle.com. And correct. you're on Facebook, Instagram, uh, etc. Yep. And uh, you guys performed, I know, at Whispering Beard Folk Festival in Friendship, Indiana. Correct. Yep. Actually, uh, Matt Wobnitz here was the uh, founder of The Beard. He started The Beard in his backyard uh, in 2008 oh, nice. with uh, help uh, with uh, Dan and Dan and Matt Williams here and a couple other folks. And yeah, he's, he's the whole reason we're not making any money these days. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And uh, uh, you guys write a lot of your own music. That, was that an original song? I believe Great. It that was, was written right? by, uh, by Wobbs here, yeah. Wobbs, well, that's a good song, by the that's way. That's a great song. That's yeah. an excellent Thank song. You. Wow. Would you do us another one? Yeah, sure thing. We'll do a song written by Mr. Ian Matthew here on the bass. He'll lead us in this song, very timely song. I think it fits this show very well. It's called Everybody's Getting a Raise. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Six days a week on a dead-end track Getting all cheap Paying me as little as the law will allow I'm so blessed All I've been given But I'm all upset They call this a living Barely scraping by until now Cause everybody's getting a raise today Finally caved on the minimum wage Honest days work for honest days Everybody's getting a raise today Every day I just do as I'm told This whole cave never strike gold All I've ever wanted was what's fair So many poor in a land so strong And prisoners of war for way too long Finally getting a piece of our share Everybody's getting a raise today They finally caved on the minimum wage Honest days work for an honest day's Everybody's getting a raise today
song when we have rallies for the minimum wage to raise the minimum yeah. wage there you go that's a great idea can you get that gig maybe you ought to talk to somebody for us yeah yeah <laughs> Do you know, you know right? what we'll, we'll check into that that's who's, a great who's ever leading the national campaign for that fair enough that is a great idea really i mean i mean your song is great not what i said but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> although a lot of the things i say are great ideas yeah. <laughs> Well, Tip Kemper-like. Yeah. Very yeah. Tip Kemper. Yeah. Oh, no, that, that's, super, that's phenomenal. That's a great song. Yeah. Great, good job. Great, good great. job. Yeah. yeah, that's a good song. There you go. Right here in Ludlow, But Kentucky. you're not getting a penny more. Just yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> to be clear. Hey, yes, sir. What is the scene like performing? Like, uh, you guys are really good, and, and Cincinnatians and Northern Kentuckians know that. You've been on the road some, too, I assume. You've done some road mm -hmm. trips. Correct. And... Uh, What's typical of the scene and oh. music today? <laughs> Look, yeah, that's the truth. Nothing's typical. Um, I mean, we play, obviously, we play a lot of sort of the late night bar spots. That's still a kind of a, the usual of the music scene, but yeah. more and more, uh, and it works really well. We do a mixture of our stuff and then a bunch of really old traditional stuff. That music crosses boundaries and age brackets and everything really well. We're, we're really big with six and seven year olds and 70 and 80 year olds. <laughs> That's cool. And yeah. so uh, we've done- Well, you got me. <laughs> you and Richard but we've done, <laughs> Yeah, but we've done like, you know, public library gigs and some uh, yep. free park gigs during the summer. A lot of, you know, a lot of uh, city festivals and things like that where it's all ages events. We obviously do the usual like bar scene and venue you know crowd but college towns or college is this happening in on in campuses um, or not it, so much yeah it is to, it is to some extent i just think it depends on where you're going at like athens ohio ohio university yeah. they've got a really solid scene a lot of people go through there ohio state obviously was columbus yeah. being so large they've got it right at you know their fingertips too. so it is happening in, oh yeah around. certainly by the way back in the 60s 70s when we were hitting a lot of uh, the venues where folk music and that explosion that occurred in the late 50s and through the 60s. Uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary Kingston trio, Mitchell trio, all these, the Bob Dylan, etc. And they were playing in a lot of bars. And if you listen to live recordings, and there are some good ones, you'll hear a lot of chatter in the yeah. background. You guys live with that, too. That's just part of the deal yeah. Oh, yeah. in some venues. Our right? uh, latest album, The Revival, is a live disc, and you can certainly hear the, the chatter and yeah. clamor behind it but i mean you know it adds to the experience so long as everybody's respectful of music so yeah and by the way is it isn't it cool that a folk school coffee parlor and uh and there are some other places around the country that we would call listening rooms where people come in and they know they're going to sit down and listen mm -hmm. to the music it's why they've come this is one of those places because i've been to concerts here i've heard i think you guys know i've heard you here casey as a mm -hmm. solo mm -hmm. and and people this must be fun to walk into a venue where you know you're going to be heard oh yeah. absolutely and respected absolutely. fully for small, what you, you know do. small the you can get a crowd in a relatively small uh size that really is there for the music 
and everybody just pays attention. You feel it. You feel oh, yeah. everyone mm-hmm. really yeah. listening and really absorbing the story. Yeah. And it's just it's such an int- intimate experience. So yeah. and uh, please, we certainly try yeah. to do that here. And please tip the waiters. Be, be, be <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Hey, would you take us out on Irene Goodnight? We, sure, we well. always go out on that. And I know you guys are going to do a great rendition of it. Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. Thanks to Patrick Kennedy for writing our opening song and to you for listening. Check out our website at jerryspringer.com. Sometimes I live in the country. Sometimes I live in town. Take a great notion to jump in the river and drown.